This is the Grits and Grids podcast, a conversation with creatives from around the world about creativity, design, and all things in between. Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast. This is March 2019, and this month we are talking about making your own luck versus hustling. Um, I think there's a lot of discussions out there in the design community as to how do people really get ahead? How do those big names in the community make their way to the top? And some people think that it's just a lot of luck. Some people think that it's a lot of hustle. And some folks think it's a mix of both. Um, I'm actually in the camp of, I think, making your own luck is the only way to go. And really, what other choice do you have? But rather than listen to me babble on for an hour and a half, I brought in three people from around the world to talk about their thoughts on the subject. This month, we're talking with Matt Dawson, who you may know from the Crop Conference. He also goes by Stay Gray Pony Boy. We're once again talking with Simon Manship, who's the head of Someone in London, a global agency that's doing fantastic work. And then finally, we have a new guest this month, Eli Altman. Uh, he's the writer of the book Run Studio Run and also the principal of 100 Monkeys, which is a naming uh, consultancy out of San Francisco. All three guests have a lot of things to say about this topic, and we're really excited to get into speaking with them. So let's hop in. Mr. Matt Dawson, a.k.a. Stay Gray Pony Boy. Matt, we've all heard the saying, stay humble and hustle hard. Do you agree with this sentiment? Uh, yes and no, uh, really. Um, I, I agree. I wholeheartedly agree with, um, the stay humble part. I I think it's really important as designers to, to realize that, that what we do is, is not all that special. Uh, you know, like there I'm 37 years old and there are kids that are 18 that can design circles around me, uh, and that never went to school for it. I think whenever I started in, in design, there was like this, um, there's almost like this, uh, elitism to it back in the day, you know, uh, and in, into in school, at least, you know, around 14, almost 15 years ago. And the, the scene was very different back then. It was, uh, you know, a little too cool for school, uh, as far as like the, the designers that I, that I happened to be around. Um, that was sort of the vibe. And, uh, now, nowadays it's like everyone's a designer. Good design is so much more accessible. It's, it's easy now to see how many incredible designers there are, um, around the world of all age ranges and disciplines and experience levels. Um, and th- that is kind of humbling um, because you're just like, man, that's uh, yeah. I, I want to step my game up. It- it's actually what I like about Adobe max. Um, Adobe max is like my favorite conference, not so mm-hmm. much like for the content, but because of its humbling effect, you know, uh, I've gone a couple times and you know, it- like each, each time I've been, it's being one of 15,000 people and like something about that mindset of it just really is inspiring for me. You know, I'm just like, man, I'm like, no matter how much I mean, like in my town or to like my group of clients or to this group of people that like follow or like whatever I do here, I'm just, you know, I'm just another ant in the ant farm. Uh, you know, and that, that to me is like super inspiring and uh, kind of makes me want to get back to it and um, 
you know, it's it's humbling. I, I think it's important to to stay humble and stay grounded as a designer, not only for yourself, but you know, like it it helps with um, it helps when dealing with clients and your peers as well. You're not you're not the asshole. Nobody likes that guy. <laughs> but uh, hustling, you know, h- hustling is is a word that I'll self admittedly confess that like I, I use that word a little too much for a while. I, I heard uh, James Victory. He's one of our crop speakers this year. A couple years ago, I, I heard him, you know, just kind of denounce the word hustle uh, on, I can't remember, I think it was maybe Instagram or maybe it was his YouTube channel or something. And it really got me to thinking about how how much we wear that word as a badge of honor to where it's, uh, you know, oh, sorry, hustling, you know, I'm, 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 I'm working so hard. I'm doing all the things. And do you really want to live like that? Like, is that braggable? You know, like you're, you're working, you know, you're working so hard and just doing everything. And like, I I think it, I think a lot of people that, that really harp on that word are kind of seeking a validation almost, um, you know, like to where like, it's almost like their self-worth is determined by how much they hustle. And, um, you know, I, I, I definitely did that for a while. You know, I, I had all these balls in the air and was juggling and it's, it's not fun. Like, I, I don't think it's a good, I, I don't think it's a good way to, to operate, uh, professionally. Um, and mm-hmm. I've, I've kind of given that word up in the past couple of years. So I, I think, I think working hard is better than hustling hard. Yeah, I completely agree. It's interesting because I've seen so many talks and especially lately, uh, I've seen a number of talks where the person speaking gets on this platform of F the hustle. And although the sentiment I get and I understand, I sort of have to laugh to myself because I'm like, bro, you've hustled. You've hustled your rear end off just to get to be in a position where you could be in front of us, giving us advice, uh, inspiring us and promoting whatever it is that you may be promoting. So is it that you just don't like competition or you just want people to not follow in your footsteps? Um, Mainly because the way it sounds to me is that well, hustling is what it took to get you to where you are, so why would you be telling others not to do the same? Um, and I think there's not much wrong with hustling, except for the negative connotations that hustling is kind of uh, implies that you're ripping someone off, and, and that's not what we mean. Um, but I think your 20s are all for hustling hard and working those late hours and taking the extra steps and going the extra mile. Your 30s is learning how to work smarter, and I think maybe your 40s is being more uh, even insightful or something uh, to advance your career and others' careers. Um, But I wouldn't go as far as to say F the hustle, because I think the hustle is what separates uh, the great from the not so great or the ones who deserve to be here. Sure. And, you know, I, I agree with that to, to, you know, to an extent, like I I think, you know, you're not going to get anywhere without hard work. Um, and I I don't think by any means hustling is, you know, uh, like an advantageous thing. I think, you know, if if it comes from anybody that, that maybe is up there on a stage talking about it, I, I think it's more of like a cautionary tale. Because there's a lot of sacrifices that you have to make, whether or not you know it, you know, like you're causing self harm because like it's it's not good to to lose sleep. It's not good to, uh, you know, push yourself like so hard to where like you're you're losing time with your family. That for me is is why I I kind of like 
subscribe to the F the hustle thing because you're right. Like I absolutely wouldn't be here right now if I hadn't done it, but I have regrets about it. I have regrets that I didn't spend more time with, you know, my child whenever they were like a baby, because Mm -hmm. that was kind of like right at the, the onset of my time as a freelancer. And I was saying yes to everything. And I was doing all these tiny, tiny projects, you know, that like, would would make up money and you know like so for me like it's more of a cautionary tale because you know like I, I sacrificed a lot of things that I wished I hadn't um and it's it's not so much like a you don't want competition thing it's just like you want people to learn charge more right off the bat you know like do try try to get one three thousand dollar logo instead of six five hundred dollar logos you know yeah, don't charge five hundred dollars for a logo. You're worth way more than that, so I'll leave that there. But you know, like like whenever whenever you're a young designer and nobody's talked to you about uh you know about pricing or anything like that, you know, like you just mm-hmm. kind of take on all this stuff. Or like whenever you're starting your own business, you're so afraid that like the ship's gonna stop moving forward if you don't continue to say yes to everything. Um, so yeah, for for me, it's more about just giving advice. You know, like be more selective and and you know, try, try to avoid some of the pitfalls of those who have hustled before you. So in looking back in your career, uh, up until now, in your opinion, how much of your successes do you attribute to making your own luck? Um, it's, I think it's kind of 50, 50. Uh, and I think it comes back to, to staying humble. I've, I've always been, I mean, by most accounts, there, there might be one or two people that, that, I've worked with where I wouldn't get a good word of mouth recommendation. I I think you can, you know, I think you can make your own luck by just being a good person and a good designer and good to work with. Because like, to me, like, like I, I always get like a little jazzed whenever I get an email from someone. It's like, Oh, so-and-so recommended you, you know, like you, you made that happen because you treated that person that's recommending you well, you know, like you, you created that next opportunity because you were, you know, you gave them a great solution to their problem. You were easy to work with most likely, or maybe you pushed them in a way that they weren't ready to be pushed. But, but either way, like you, you did something that caused that domino to fall and get you another job. So, you know, I, I think, I think there are ways like that, where you can, you know, kind of create your own successes and, uh, you know, further perpetuate getting jobs. Um, and that, that goes hand in hand. Like, honestly, man, like it's like, it's, it's kind of tough to, to, um, dismantle them because they're kind Mm -hmm. of pieces that all go together, you know, like working, working hard for this client will get you something else, you know, uh, most, most likely, at least it has for me. Um, as far as like making your own luck in other ways, um, you know, I, I think there are little tips and tricks to try to get things that you want for sure. Um, one thing, one thing we hear a lot is, uh, you know, show the kind of work that you want to get. That's a, that's an easy way to not necessarily make your own luck, but like it can, it can show you, it can show people what you can do. Like if, if you're not getting these jobs, but you want to do a brewery logo, start doing, start doing stuff that, you know, even if it's self-assigned, self-initiated projects and, you know, 
we we live in a crazy time now where you can hashtag that stuff and who knows some brewer in Asheville, North Carolina might be surfing Instagram and see your fake brewery logo and be like, oh man, this guy's good. But I mean, you know, like it, it's it's kind of I think the accessibility of social media is, you know, is a great tool in in making your own luck. Um, you know, I, I've I've gotten I've gotten projects like I've gotten some crazy projects just from the, the reach of social media, you know, like I speaking of brewers, like I had made, um, I made this square cassette a while back because I like cassettes. I'm a child of the eighties. Um, and I, I made this cassette and somehow it wasn't related to anything brewery specific or beer related. Just another, another person up in, uh, Portland, Oregon, or they were in Los Angeles at the time, they, they ran across it and started looking at my work and my branding. And I didn't know at the time, but like they were starting a brewery. And next thing you know, like they reached out to, to me to brand their brewery. And now like me and, you know, our agency are doing all of their packaging and their brewery interior and their signage and like like that came from something that i give like that came from a little cassette sticker that i give away for free and it wasn't anywhere related to that industry so imagine (laughs) what you do like like imagine what you can attract if you you know if you purposefully you know put those lines out there yeah i think what you're saying is if you just sit back and wait for something to happen um you're gonna be sitting for a really long time you have to get out there you have to do you have to promote yourself and take action and uh, I believe you have a sticker or some sort of promotional item you're working on that encapsulates this mentality. Yeah, I've got a um, I've got a poster that that I made recently. Um, it's uh, <laughs> I, I've, it, it's a play on the it's a play on the term or on the on the saying make uh, fake it till you make it. Uh, I've I've just never really loved that that expression. So um, I kind of turned it on its side, and uh, it's make shit till you make it. And like the, the ethos behind that is just to constantly be making stuff, you know, like, like think things are going to like, like if you sit still, nothing's going to happen. But if you keep making things and you keep putting things out into the world, opportunities are going to come to you. We, we have this option right now to control the narrative of what people see, you know, like, like kind of like the best life. <laughs> I'm, I'm only putting my good stuff out in the world. Like you're, you're not going to see the brochure I did for, you know, this whatever company because i don't want to get brochures but you know if you just keep making stuff and putting it out like you you it, you will it, it's a numbers game like you will see results and returns from it yeah it's especially true when you're making stuff that is representative of the kind of work that you are really great at and the kind of work that you want to get in your front door keep on making that keep on putting it out there and uh, the work will start to come to you Thanks so much for joining us again on the podcast, Matt, and shedding your insights and ideas with us on uh, making your own luck. Yeah, sure thing. Thanks for having me, Joseph. Man, that was fantastic advice from Matt Dawson. Uh, Next up, we talked to Eli Altman of 100 Monkeys about his thoughts on making your own luck. Eli, we've heard the saying, stay humble and hustle hard. Do you agree with this sentiment, this statement? Do uh, Do you like it? (laughs) uh yeah i mean i'd say i i generally agree with it i I think one issue people might run into is uh the kind of hustle hard versus hustle smart thing uh a lot of people are good at spinning their wheels and i'd 
probably think it's important to point out the difference between doing a bunch of stuff and working efficiently and effectively. I guess it's kind of all relative. You know, if you spend enough time honing your process and figuring out like what's really working for you and what isn't, what yields returns and what doesn't, then, you know, at that point, you don't really have to work that hard. Um, The staying humble part, you should hold on to. um, But I think a lot of it just has to do with knowing what you're looking to get out of work. Um, And if you're clear on that and you're getting out what you want, then, you know, why bust your ass when you don't have to? So for you, I mean, I think uh, especially outside looking in, uh, 100 Monkeys is killing it. The uh, books that you've put out are great, Um, unbelievably profound, uh, very useful, which is not often something you can say about uh, books that are in, I guess, this space or industry. Um, for you, what percentage of luck versus percentage of hustle has contributed to your success? Man, if anybody can accurately quantify the answer to that question, uh, I would be impressed. Um, I mean, you know, I, I know that both factor in, uh, where to set that dial. I have no idea. Um, you know, I've, I've gotten lucky, but you know, what's that quote that, uh, like luck exists, but it has to find you hard at work. Um, right. You know, I think that makes some sense to me. Um, so yeah, I mean, you know, looking at the things that like feel like they're lucky, like, you know, for example, when we did, um, you know, a Kickstarter for run studio run and Kickstarter decided to like, uh, promote it as a project that they love. Um, is that luck? Um, Maybe I, you know, I didn't, I didn't like pull any strings to get them to do that. Uh, wouldn't have known the strings to pull if I wanted to get them to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe that is luck, but maybe that's because of the, you know, like how I like talked about the project or wrote about it or the video I did. I, you know, I, I have no idea why that happened. So like, you know, trying to, to kind of figure out like, what happens to you and whether it happened because you worked hard or you were lucky, you know, I don't know, but I know that one of those two things you can control, um, which is work and the work that you put in. Um, and one of them you really can't. So, you know, my, my biggest thing, uh, is, you know, this thing like the, the dichotomy of control, which is just splitting things between what you can control and what you can't and continuing to dive in um, to even with things where it's like, well, there's parts of it I can control and parts of it I can't. And so I'm always just trying to focus on the things that I can actually affect myself. That's great advice. I mean, it's something that I struggle with all the time as well. um, And probably irrationally so is there are things that you literally cannot control. And the, the sooner you can just accept it and try to find, make peace with it and then go focus on those things. Like you mentioned that you actually can uh, affect change or do um, the happier you're going to be. I think the one that I struggle with the most is when I am at the mercy of time. Well, like for instance, uh, I remember back, well, I won't share the date, I guess, cause I don't want to feel old, but when I was uh, waiting to go to college. So I went to, I went to a couple of colleges and it just wasn't working. Um, and then I found the, the school that I wanted to go to, which was a design school, but I had to wait for the semester to start. However, because I had been working such a dead end job, because I hated like 
basically my life. Um, and I had finally found the thing, the thing that I really loved, but you got to wait three months. You know, it was the longest three months of my life. And it was so tortuous because I'm like, I just want to go. I want to get started. I want to do this. But I have to wait three months for this this semester to start. So situations like that. Um, have you have you experienced that in, in, in your life or your line of work, your life in general? And how have you gotten through that? Which part of it? The having to wait? Well, just uh, the things that you can't control. So, you know, now when yeah. you speak about it, obviously you have uh, maybe a methodology for it or at least a cognizance uh, that you're, you know, you're aware that this is a thing. But ha- have you been up against something that brought that to light where you're like, oh, wait, this is this is the way I need to handle it? Yeah, I mean, that that happens a lot. Um, I, I think, you know, one of the things one of the areas where it really comes up for me is that, um, you know, we help companies uh, with naming, um, you know, help them figure out what to call their products, um, or their companies. And, you know, the eventual launch of those companies and products involves a whole ton of stuff that we don't control. Um, and, you know, sometimes the companies even like implode before they hit the market. It's like, so we put a ton of time and energy into something, come up with a name that, you know, we're really into that the client likes that they're supporting. And then, you know, maybe they have like a cousin who fancies themselves a designer and the identity is terrible and we can't promote it. Or, mm-hmm. you know, maybe the company totally implodes. Um, and, you know, those are all things that happen on, you know, a semi-regular basis. And, you know, I'm not going to waste a bunch of energy wishing those things happen differently. Um, I'm going to, you know, try to point them in the direction of good designers. I'm going to do my piece and make sure that they have a good name. If we're working on writing, make sure they have good writing. But, you know, I'm not going to waste a bunch of time and energy like worrying about what happens if, you know, uh, if they don't hit the market. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think that's actually something that hits close to home for a lot of us, right? Because we do put every, I mean, for the most part, I'm assuming, but I know vigor wise, we put our heart and soul into the stuff that we do and to see it just fizzle out is, it's heartbreaking, but you, you gotta, you know, you gotta move on and you can't, you can't sweat that stuff. I think you're right. Um, so the last thing I, I wanted to ask to, just to pick your brain was, um, what, what's one or a couple of things you suggest designers can do to, uh, quote unquote, make their own luck. How do they, how do they make sure that when luck finds them, they're hard at work? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, you know, I think it's really keeping an eye on what you're passionate about um, and what really drives you. I think if if working hard feels like a slog and feels like something that you're not enjoying, um, then it's going to be hard to continue to put energy into that on a regular basis. Um, mm-hmm. But if you're really passionate about what you're working on, um, if it's just interesting and engaging to you and stuff that you would be curious about and engaged with, whether you were being paid to or not, you're just going to enjoy it and you're going to get that much more into it. And the work isn't going to feel so hard. Um, and so you're not really like setting yourself up for disappointment in that situation. It's like you're getting something out of it, regardless of if the luck breaks your way or it doesn't. 
And if you keep putting yourself into that situation, like keep following the work that you're passionate about, the projects you're passionate about, you know, doing work that that feels good, um, then you sort of set up this scenario where like your work begets your work. That if you work with clients that you like on projects that you like, keep driving towards those things, then you create this sort of reinforcing situation where, you know, those people refer you to other friends of theirs and clients who have, you know, similar needs, similar mindsets. Um, and you just kind of create this environment over time. And so, you know, to me, I think it's just about staying close to the work that you're passionate about, always having that in the back of your head. If a project feels like a total pain in the ass, like it probably is. Um, and, you know, <laughs> you might need the money, you might, you know, need the work. That's okay. But I think just keeping an eye on what you're passionate about and always driving towards that. So when you're working hard on something, it doesn't feel like, uh, you know, like you're pulling your hair out for no reason. That makes a lot of sense. That's fantastic advice. Hey, th thanks for chiming in on this. Um, I think everything that you just said is so valuable uh, for folks to hear and, um, you know, take into consideration as they move their careers and their practices forward. I appreciate your time. A bunch of excellent advice from Eli Altman of 100 Monkeys. Up next, the last guest I have, and certainly not least, is Simon Manship of Someone in London. Let's hear what he has to say about making your own luck. Hey everyone, it's March, and uh, you know, luckily Simon Manship from Someone in London uh, Global Agency is back with us to talk about how he makes his own luck and and how he's uh, maybe built someone a little bit. So, you know, Simon, we've heard this saying uh, all over the place: the uh, stay stay humble and hustle hard. In fact, I think the um, the poster is a riff on uh, a classic British poster in, from the war. Um, but do you, do you agree with this sentiment of staying humble and hustling hard? Yeah, yeah, I, I know what you mean. And I think it's, it, the British one is keep calm and carry on. But it's, 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 oh, right, it's, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think the, um, yeah, the stay humble angle, I mean, I completely agree. Yeah, I think there's nothing worse than someone believes that they're the bee's knees and, and everyone else thinks they're a complete loser. So, yeah, I think that that's definitely true. You don't can't believe your own hype. But, but I think the hustle thing is interesting because – I think that, you know, you can spot a hustler pretty easily these days. And um, and they're generally not good news, are they? They're kind of a, um, generally bad people. I've just seen the um, the, uh, the documentary on Netflix about the fire Festival. And um, it's kind of, you know, Billy McFarland is not a good role model. You know, that, that mm -hmm. is a, a bad person. And he's clearly a hustler. But what was interesting is he was described as a hus kind of a hustler in one breath, but an entrepreneur in another. And I think that kind of gives business uh, really quite bad role models to start to look at. Mm -hmm. And if you look at the way that kind of hustling in business is, is kind of seen uh, by by those in the business world, by those commissioning the work, it's, it's kind of seen as a quite a bad way to treat people. Um, and so I think that, you know, actually a kind of hustling mentality, while, while I understand what people are talking about, you know, whether actually it's a highly competitive industry and you need to be noticed and you need to be out there making the most of opportunities. But I think um, we, we try and do work that's actually very deeply respectful of the people that we work for. And we don't go out and try and hustle and, and kind of get one over someone. What we're trying to do is actually really listening to their, their kind of needs uh, and kind of being really prepared for those uh, requests rather than trying to capitalise uh, on their errors or their mistakes or their concerns 
what we're trying to do is actually kind of help them. So I think that's the thing is that we're, we're not out for kind of personal gain as such. We're out to, to kind of help, not hustle. And I think that it's, it's a, um, a, tr- a kind of fine line that you, you want to be an entrepreneur. You want to be going out there and doing a great job. But at the same time, you don't want to be seen as that person that's kind of constantly trying to capitalize on people's uh, misfortune. Right. Yeah. And so for those who haven't seen it, um, that documentary is on Netflix and it's about this uh, festival that was being held, I believe, in the Bahamas. Yeah. Um, this huge music festival with rappers and this, that, and the other. And it was huge hype, huge amount of hype. And apparently when everyone got to the island, there, there was nothing there. Nothing there. Yeah. They had like bologna sandwiches or something like that, I think right. is the joke. Or in like the yeah. craft singles just sitting on a... Yeah. Yeah. And it's like this huge um, scandal. And I think the guy's in jail now uh, for, for yeah, that and other things. Exactly. And it, you know, it was just like $8,000 a ticket. And, you know, it was billed as this amazing thing. But, but interestingly, you know, what was interesting is it was seen as a triumph of marketing. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then it, another, you know, it's another nail in the coffin for marketing and, and, and design and creativity where they did a very, very convincing job of the marketing campaign and made it look like you're about to go and have, you know, it, an own private party with Kendall Jenner and all her friends. And, mm-hmm. and actually, you know, it was all a total lie. Um, and, um, and so, you know, it was very successful, uh, successful at kind of getting people's attention and getting people to start to talk about it on social channels. And then they were sold out as well. I mean, for a new festival to sell out, it's very, very difficult. So it's a triumph of marketing, but then it's just seen as, as a kind of a party for liars. Right. And I think this is the thing that marketing companies uh, in general have to be very careful about is that if you're seen as a hustler and you're out there and you're trying to you know pull pull the wool over people's eyes and that only serves to uh, cement the reputation that marketing is a a superfluous addition to a kind of tax on a bad product Uh, and i think that's a thing to be avoided like the plague yeah agreed you know and i think there's a brand i don't know if you're familiar with this um but uh pay less shoes actually i think did it in a good way uh like du- duping someone where the, the dupe was to the, to the benefit of the brand. Um, so Payless opened a fake luxury shoe store called Palessi right. um, and invited influencers and all this other stuff uh, who were hyping up the shoes and how quality and amazingly luxury they are. And uh, it was quite hysterical. And I think the, the common thread there is um, I think you said it earlier is believing your own hype. Um, these are people who, are probably self-labeled as influencers as well. And they see it as a, um, an occupation. And I think it's the same group of folks who really fueled that fire Island scandal as well. Right. Um, which is really interesting. And I'll have yeah. a link to that in the show notes as well. Uh, Cause I thought it was a fantastic use of, um, marketing thinking into challenging what the belief of a discount shoe store is. Mm, yeah, absolutely. And then there's a, there's a similar example over here. There's a discount supermarket chain, um, and um, they, they are famous for selling really cheap food. Um, and um, they set up a restaurant, and they um, tried to get people in to believe that it was like this incredible Michelin-style restaurant. But, of course, all the food came from this um, supermarket. So it was kind of – that's clever because it's talking about the quality of a product and how you're actually getting something that you, ex- you expect to be much lower quality mm-hmm. than you really uh, you know think you're paying for so that's kind of duping the customer but trying to make a strategic point i think that's that's genius you know that's a really great way of, of dramatizing value and of course that's what most brands want you to do absolutely yeah we we had a I remember a restaurant that we were talking with a while back um they were 
they were so excited that they have this great deal on a filet mignon. And so they were going to sell it for $14. And mm-hmm. I told them, I'm like, yeah, but a filet mignon is not $14, a good one. And they're like, no, it is. It's like, and they started going down their list of uh, qualifications for how amazing this filet chop is and you know this, that, and the other. And I'm like, yeah, but it's going to fail. Like no one, people want to pay more for a filet. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's part of it. Like it's, it's almost, it justifies the quality because the price is, um, comparative to what you're getting. I'm like, it's going to fail miserably. And we inevitably didn't work together because they disagreed with me. And, you know, sure enough, that thing was an absolute, uh, uh, sinking ship. Um, and you know, I, I knew the folks, so we talked a little while afterwards and they're like, yeah, that filet did not sell at all. <laughs> um, like, yeah. of course it didn't. <laughs> yeah. No, it's interesting because it's, it's like that brilliant book on Freakonomics um, mm-hmm. where they describe how the economics of things affect how you interpret them. And I think there's a, something to be really said for, you know, if you're looking at the discounters who are doing great business in Europe at the moment, the, um, the, what they do is they, they charge very, very, um, Kind of low fees for food that you expect to be dreadful but it's not quite as bad as you think so actually you're delighted and strangely you go back for more so all your basics mm-hmm. uh, or your canned goods for example then you kind of think well it's, it's fine you know it's not great it's not terrible it's fine but it is a dollar and that's amazing so we'll, i'm going to get some more of it so there's a there's something about the kind of um, anticipation that rises up in people when they uh, start to consider the economics attached to purchases. Uh, so, yeah, it's an interesting, you know, like d- diamonds, you know, they're, they're a dollar basically to mine a, a diamond. But then when, by the time they get to retail, mm-hmm. they're massively inflated through the value of marketing. And, and, you know, same with champagne and all of these uh, luxury goods that they're, they're inflated through marketing, which is fake. It's kind of fraud, really. Right, <laughs> it's right. Not a good thing, you know? Well, especially in the diamond industry, I mean, with their control of supply. Um, yeah, you know, which is a whole other topic, man, we could have a whole podcast about that. Um, <laughs> uh, but getting back to uh, the topic, I believe I completely derailed us, but, um, what, what percentage of luck versus we'll, we'll change the word hustle to hard work has contributed mm-hmm. to your success, um, as a founder of someone and, you know, a, a leader. Well, I think I always like that thing where you say that, um, when you look at people who's, who uh, everyone says they're lucky, they're, they're actually um, working very hard. And it's amazing how, how your luck increases when you work harder. Mm-hmm. And I, don't, I don't think that anything is kind of um, given to us on a plate, particularly in such a competitive environment. Um, and, I, and I think the thing is also that everyone thinks they can do our job. Um, everyone has chosen their curtains and therefore they think they're a designer. And I think that that's kind of a, a challenge that we face daily. Um, but there is, a, I think there was a lot of luck involved um, because, you know, uh, not everyone does succeed and some of them are much more talented than others. But I think that also kind of Woody Allen had a good point where he said that kind of one of the greatest um, parts of the picture is turning up um, and actually getting there and being there on time. And it's, it always amazes me when I hear stories that, uh, about design companies who were put on pitches for serious accounts with big fees attached. And they just didn't turn up on time or they were ill-prepared <laughs> or, or they, you know, they just didn't read the brief or any, any of the classic mistakes that you would expect. And actually just turning up and being there is probably the kind of primary uh, challenge. It's just a case of um, kind of being in the right place at the right time uh, and joining up the dots there and being a good person and then seeing, seeing a project through. So I, I do think that luck plays its part, but, um, you know, looking around – um, someone, you know, you'll find a lot of people that we're still working there and, you know, 
late in the evening or it's weekend work and and no one's asked them to do that they're doing it because they want the work to be better and i think that's you know, there is a hard work mentality that goes through this stuff that creates the luck i think um, so it's, it's not just kind of a case of walking around and hopefully things happen i think right. we make our own luck yeah yeah it's interesting that you say the um the folks who think that they can do this job uh <clears throat> my wife and i were just at the infinity mirrors exhibit uh kusama's infinity mirrors i'm, I'm not sure yeah. if you're familiar and yeah. uh you know there's some folks behind us uh in some of the lines that we were waiting and you know i heard a lady say i could have done that and i just want to turn around and say yeah but you didn't you yeah know? exactly and and you didn't do all of the work and put in all of the um all of the history into building up to that moment where you could do it and have it be noticed. Exactly right. Yeah. And I think that, you know, it's, that's one of the kind of most common phrases that's thrown around when you see um, established artists and how they've um, created a, a legacy. And people will look at a Picasso and say, oh, I could have done that at one of his more abstract pieces. But when you look at the journey he's been on and how he mastered uh, representational art to a point where it was essentially like a photograph. And he was doing this when he was 13. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's no wonder that he became interested in abstracting uh, visual forms and doing more, um, you know, uh, lateral thinking. And um, so when you look at it on the surface, yeah, sure, you probably could have. But actually the journey that that guy's been through and that a lot of the other people that kind of are easily um, kind of categorized, like the kind of people think it's simplistic, the opposite is generally true. So I completely mm-hmm. agree with it. Yeah, especially in those simplest forms. Um, you know, I think that leads us to our last one is, you know, maybe for this lady in particular, or uh, the one gentleman that said it too, but uh, what is one thing you suggest people can do to generate their own luck? Right. Yeah. I think that it's, it's actually really, really easy, I think, um, which is that um, if you do crap work, you're going to get more crap work. Um, and if you do great work, you're more likely to get more great work. And so while it sounds incredibly easy, you've got to try it. And with every project, I believe, to do your very, very best um, piece of work. And and equally, um, you know, when, when you're negotiating these contracts or negotiating a product project at the very beginning, um, don't chase the money. Um, the money's only going to lead you in one particular path. But if you can chase the opportunity, you're going to end up in a much more exciting place. And so... Um, I think that that's really our, our kind of mantra. Again, another one of those mantras of someone uh, is this idea that we are obsessed with doing great work and that we want to make um, enough money and that we can have some fun along the way so that we actually create some great work. And it's kind of this triangle that just keeps on repeating itself. And it's actually a really good way of judging whether a project's a good move or whether it's been good and whether you should get involved with it in the first place is, Will it be fun? Will it enable you to see great work? And um, can you kind of uh, keep going? Can you, you know, keep that the lights on with enough cash? And so I think those three things are really, really important. Um, and that's helped us through pretty much everything. And that could be everything from like the tiniest project, where it's a leaflet or a, an ad or something really simple. If you do a really great job there and you over-deliver, you're far more likely to be hired again to do something else. Yeah, I really do think that there is an opportunity in, <clears throat> pardon me, just about any project. And, and I think it's the hallmark of an amazing creative to take the otherwise forgettable um, and make it marvelous and noticeable, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, I think that's way more impressive. Um, I, I kind of dog uh, poster artists and, you know, um, not to be mean, it's just I feel like it's it's such an easy easier ask to do something highly creative on a poster than it is to 
you know, take in a, like a trifold brochure and make it something worth talking about. Um, right. Because you actually approached it with that mentality. Um, yeah, exactly. And I think that, that idea of over-delivering is a really good one. I, you know, no one's going to get fired for over-delivering. People are always going to be delighted to get a little bit more than they expected or a lot more than they expected. And by doing that, you're, you're kind of showing um, – client often that hey look there's more to it than this you know actually yes it's a trifold leaflet you've asked for but actually what i've given you could easily translate into an ad campaign and before you know it the client's going well actually i think i might be able to find a small budget for that let's give it a go and then you've opened a door to a whole new opportunity which will have a whole new fee attached to it no doubt and you'll be able to start to really take things further so uh, yeah it's a really good way of doing things that's fantastic advice. Um, thank you for chiming in on this. Uh, I think we're rebranding that saying as stay humble and work hard. Uh, we're going to kill hustle altogether. <laughs> it's a bad word. Um, but I really appreciate your insights. And I think there's a lot of amazing uh, tidbits in there that people can use in their everyday as reminders of how to continue their journey as creatives. Everybody, thank you for tuning in once again for March and learning how to make your own luck from three very amazing creative talents from around the world. We really hope you enjoyed what you heard. Um, if you did, please rate us very highly on the iTunes store and Google Play. And be sure to tell all your friends, tag us on social and all that lovely stuff to help us spread the word. Uh, see you next month. <laughs>